Welcome back, Arizona Nation. Is it too soon? I went everybody's head about the bird. You know what's never too soon is welcome back, Javi. Javi, welcome back. How you doing, man? How's it going? I'm doing well. Good, good. It's been tough uh, with the game, uh, the season, and open the way it's did. But uh, let's uh, let's get to business and uh, let's not hesitate. Everybody's gonna have to bear with me. I have a bit of a cold, so that's why I sound like I'm going through puberty again. Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Arizona Podcast. I'm your host Dax. Javi and I are excited to bring you another episode. Remember, we're on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. Remember, we're the Air, uh, Echo Romeo Alpha Podcast. When you enter your search. Follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas, Brandon at U of A Bear Down on 7, and Javi at Players Program U. Follow Podcast on Twitter at Podcast Zona. Come to Facebook at the Arizona Podcast. Uh, email the podcast at Arizona Podcast at gmail.com. Email, tweet, Facebook post. Give us some questions so that we can answer them. Finally, be sure to visit playersprogramu.com and azdsrecruiting.weebly.com for all the latest on Zona football. Javi, you saw the U of A game. What's the big takeaway from that one from you? Uh, I was just super disappointed. I mean, I bought in um, to to the team being able to to be, to take to win at least against Hawaii and have a real good season. And I was one of the people that was saying they're going to win eight or nine games. Um, and then in true Arizona fashion, they just came out flat and ended up losing to a lesser team. So it's just really, really disappointed. Um, and, you know, then we have a bye week, and then we're playing NAU. So, uh, you know, we're just going to have to come up big and beat NAU because if we lose this game, then uh, I don't even know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think we're going to lose to NAU. And I, I remember the season we had Nick Foles' final year when we beat ASU up in ASU, but that was a pretty bad season. I forget how many wins we had that year, but it was pretty abysmal. And even that year, uh, despite it being a close game, uh, late into the game, we managed to pull away from NAU. So I don't think NAU has ever won a game against either ASU or U of A. That would be a pretty catastrophic. I think it's worth starting out with the beginning of the game. Hawaii wins the coin toss. They elect to receive. Arizona's defending. Um, the University of Hawaii comes out, and um, they're driving the ball pretty effectively. Um, but... Um, McDonald tries to cork a long one down the sideline and Whitaker is able to intercept it. I thought it was a real nice athletic play by Whitaker. It was nice to have him back opposite Burns after missing the majority of the season last year. What did you think about Whitaker's performance in the game? Oh, I thought he was awesome. I mean, if it wasn't for him, we would have lost by a lot more. Uh, so it was good to have him back on the field. And he was the pretty much the main bright spot of the, of the game. Yeah, at that point, uh, we get the ball um, on our own 29, and we come out with three straight passes. It was kind of interesting because there was a big point made about uh, Hawaii's defense and specifically their ability to stop the run, and Mazzoni comes out with three straight passes, um, two incomplete, and then an interception, which really wasn't Khalil Tate's fault. It was a deflected ball off the hands of uh, Dixon. And it was picked yeah. off. That probably would have been a first down conversion if the execution was better. But what do you think about Mazzoni coming out with three straight passes? Uh, I was pissed. I couldn't believe he came out with three passes. Um, like you said, it wasn't Tate's fault on the interception. Uh, but, I mean, we got 
Taylor and Tate can run. And I thought that we could just really establish that. And I thought that's what we would do, um, especially after running so much against ASU in the last game of, of last season. And so I was shocked. And it was it was just confusing. Yeah, it was a little bit frustrating, I think. But they really had trouble uh, establishing the run until late. Arizona gives the ball back after that great interception by um, – Whitaker and Hawaii has the ball now. They're starting out on their 49, so they're in excellent position. Uh, and they pretty much uh, smartly draft, drive down the field, and it ends with uh, a nice pass from McDonald um, to uh, Cedric Bird, who had quite the game uh, for a touchdown. You know, I, I thought this was nice execution by Hawaii. I don't think there was anything here that was, you know, particularly – deficient defensive play although there was a there's been a lot of concentration on that in the the interval since the loss what was your take on the initial performance of cedric uh bird um i mean he looked unstoppable and i just couldn't believe that we weren't making any adjustments to him looked like he was doing the same play uh getting between the safeties and the linebackers and I was just, if you were watching me watch the game, I was going crazy because I, I you knew they were going to throw it to him the whole game, and he just killed us the whole time. Yeah, if you ever check out my Twitter tirade about the game, I, I do think that there's definitely plenty of uh, criticism to go around about how the um, how the coverage schemes were set up with a lot of off coverage. But I do think that there was some adjustments. In fact, Whitaker was moved on to Bird several times, and it did result in one of the later interceptions. But when Bird was in the slot, he was very effective, especially when he's lined up against um, our safeties. And so that was problematic, especially on the first uh, couple touchdown drives by Hawaii. So Arizona gets the ball back. Um, again, we try and uh, Tate misses a completely wide open Walma on a swing pass. He had trouble with that out of the gate and had, had a couple missed ones. Do you remember that play? Is that ring a bell with you? Yeah. Yeah. And all I was thinking was um, Gunnell probably would have made that pass, but I mean, Tate's got to make that. So, yeah, he threw two, uh, one behind Wiley and one behind Walmart, a swing pass over just three yards behind both of them. And both guys had nothing but grass in front of them. I mean, not touchdowns, but, you know, 10, 15 yards easy. So I don't, you know, as much as I like to bag on Mazzoni, I don't think you could um, necessarily knock the scheme. And, And listen, that first pass by Tate getting it deflected interception, who knows how different that goes if they complete that and maintain that drive. Because I've argued a lot that the pace of the offense puts a lot of pressure on the defense. And because of that, successful drives uh, directly impact the ability of the defense to obviously rest. But just from a, a mental health standpoint, it's hard for them to be resilient when there's three quick um plays and subsequently they're right back on the field which happened again on the second drive uh the the incomplete pass to walma jj taylor gets a two-yard rush they really weren't getting a good push initially we've had a lot of turnover on the offensive line so i think it's understandable it's going to take a little time and then tate tries to throw a pass but just scrambles out of bound we get a 34-year-old punt and then hawaii grabs the ball again um at this point you're really hoping the defense is going to hold um, McDonald's pretty much engineers him right down the field and he hits Ward on a long 39 yard pass down the sideline, uh, which was a really nice play by McDonald and Ward. Any thoughts on that drive from Hawaii other than the, the devastating nature of that last quick score? 
Uh, I was just, I was just already like, here we go, because uh, they just, yeah, they they were scoring so quick on us, and then McDonald looked like the next, just like an All American, you know, at the start of the game. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just, I was just, uh, you know, going crazy at that moment. Yeah, to your point, it was seven plays, 51 yards, uh, two minutes and 51 seconds on the first drive by Hawaii, and then five plays, 62 yards, and three minutes and 12 seconds on the second scoring play by Hawaii. So it didn't take long for them to score both of Arizona's drives. The first one was three plays, 17 seconds, and then three plays, three yards, one minute and 16 seconds. So not a lot of time for the defense to rest, and Hawaii's scoring quite efficiently. We get the ball back after the touchdown. We're down by two touchdowns, and Mazzoni comes out and tries to establish a run. J.J. Taylor run for three yards, then no yards, and then we're stuck on a a, a third long. Kate try, uh, Tate, you know, tries to make a pass, but he has to scramble out of it. Gets a couple yards, and we're punting again. Again, three plays. We got a total of five yards, and it's been a minute twenty-eight before the defense rolls back out onto the field. Pretty demoralizing for the defense. But I thought they responded really well. They come back out, and Burns comes down with a nice interception um, on McDonald's um, very first uh, pass of the next series. What do you think about Burns' performance now that he's coupled back up with uh, Whitaker? Uh, I thought he had a good performance. I mean, the secondary, uh, they played a good game, and I think they kept us in it, so... Uh, that was the only reason that we didn't get blown out, in my opinion. Yeah, especially when you talk about our two corners. I thought Burns was pretty good last year, especially when he was uh, thrust into the role of the number one cornerback, which he wasn't quite ready for. And having Whitaker back and having him at the number two corner spot, I think, really has been um, valuable for for him as, you know, sort of appropriately deploying him in the defense and giving him an opportunity to, to shine his skills. I thought he was very good until he was injured. Arizona gets the ball back. We have two rushes by J.J. Taylor for seven yards. Um, we have another incomplete pass. Um, excuse me. We have uh, uh, Tate hooking up with uh, Joyner uh, for 13 yards, and we get our first first down of the game. Um, a couple more plays before it's the end of the first quarter, but we're driving now, and we're down by two touchdowns. Uh, at the end of the first quarter, what, what was your thought process as we moved into the second quarter? Uh, I, I figured that Mazzone usually takes a while to get things going, so I just thought that it was the usual slow start, and I thought we'd pick things up in the second quarter, but, I mean, it just it took a little longer than that. Yeah, to your point, um, you know, we'd only had the two first downs. Uh, in the first quarter, uh, we had a total of 31 yards rushing with uh, 13 yards passing on that one completion f- with um, – a six to one with an interception for uh, Khalil Tate. Not exactly what you'd like coming out of the gate. No. We move into the second quarter. Arizona's on a roll. Um, Cunningham loses a yard. Uh, Tate hits Walmer for 14 yards and the touchdown. It was great to see the, um, the tight end in the game plan again. It was in one of those little, little pop pass action Tebow esque. What'd you think about the call there? Oh, I thought it was a great call. Yeah, Tebow asked, and um, so I thought we were right back in it, and and I was excited. So yeah, it was just good to see the tight end get some action and and you know a score. 
So Hawaii gets the ball back. They pretty much drive right down the field with McDonald just picking Arizona apart. Um, and Cole hits Bird on a on a post route for 25 yards. Uh, he's behind the linebackers in zone and in front of the safeties. And the single the single high safety, I think it was cover three on that one, the single safety in the middle of the field is way over to the left. And Bird's running out of the slot in the right, and he's just open by a mile on a tw- another long touchdown pass. And at this point, it's official. Bird is just just destroying us. I found that a little demoralizing. I, did, I would have thought by this point, um, you know, we would have identified this guy. I think one of the big uh, areas that I noticed as I watched the game was the adjustments didn't come on a particular drive. It's not that they didn't come drive to drive, but they didn't come during a drive. And it took a good three or four drives before the adjustment of putting Whitaker on a bird occurred, which I think was a bit late considering all the success he was having. Um, what'd you think about that series with us back down seven to 21? Um, yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, I don't know why we weren't, uh, jamming the bird up at the line. Um, I think we just needed to get more pressure on the quarterback. We weren't blitzing up the middle. There was no corner blitzes. And I was just, I was just thinking this guy is just going to have a career day against us, which I'm not sure if he did, but I know it must've been one of his best games ever. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember tweeting out a stat on bird from the week zero last year and he had some crazy, you know, whatever, six for, you know, 180 and a couple touchdowns or something like that. It was pretty comparable, but not as impressive as the stat line. But the point is the guy wasn't an unknown. And specifically week zero last year, he went off. So uh, interesting that, you know, he wouldn't have been a high priority in the defensive scouting. Regardless, Arizona gets the ball back. We start to get a lot of traction with the running game. Uh, J.J. Taylor's making some, um, making some nice plays. We're running a lot of two-back sets. I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. Wiley's in there with J.J. Taylor. Wiley catches a, a pass. J.J. Uh, Taylor gets on a pass. Jamar Joyner gets on a pass. And then Michael Wiley picks up a nice 33-yard down the sideline uh, pass that almost scores. And then they bring in Nathan Tilford for the vulture touchdown on the one-yard run. What do you think about the two-back set and specifically Wiley's performance, especially on this drive? I heard a lot about Wiley, so it was it was good to actually see him in action. So the two-back set looked good. Um uh, he looks like a playmaker already, and then it was nice to actually have a big back run it in when we're at the one. So After uh, we get that nice touchdown by Tilford, and as you point out, the two-back set's looking really good with Wiley and all the preseason pop he had. Hawaii gets the ball back. They're driving down the field. McDonald's completing passes. Bird's starting to light us up again. Uh, they get all the way down to the Arizona 24, and Fields intercepts uh, McDonald again. Um, this is our second interception to the point in the drive into the game, and it's a real big chance. Arizona's only down by a touchdown, and it's a big chance for us to flip the field. We had previously talked about what we thought about Burns and Whitaker back together. There had been a lot of buzz about how the safeties played in this game. How would you overall assess the secondary's play in this game with four total interceptions, Javi? Oh, the secondary did great. I think that they did their job, um, and we got a lot of weapons. So <clears throat> it was surprising to to see uh, how many points they put up on us. Um, but the secondary, um, I think we have a lot to look forward to next in the, during the season for them. 
Yeah, I think this is a work in progress. And there's been a lot made of how they did the coverage in the game where they were uh, a lot of off coverage, a lot of soft coverage, especially on Bird in the slot. But I just don't know how you come up and press or redirect a guy who's in the slot and who's off the line. I mean, you can try and get in his face, but you really risk him running by you and going long, especially on a run and shoot where they alter the patterns actively. So I think if you come up and try and press a guy like that, you're you're taking a big risk uh, unless you have over-the-top coverage. Uh, Arizona gets the right. ball back. Uh, Arizona's got some momentum. Uh, Khalil Tate scrambles around for 11 yards. Uh, he hits Wiley for 11. He rushes for 31. At this point, Arizona really has Hawaii on his heels. They have to take a timeout. Um, and try to collect themselves because Arizona's gone from their 24 all the way down to Hawaii's 27 in just a handful of plays. Khalil Tate hits Jamari Joyner for 30 yards and a touchdown on a beautiful pass. What did you think about the hookup between Joyner and Tate? Um, I thought it was awesome. It was good to see Joyner uh, get some points on the board, um, you know, especially because we didn't know how he was going to uh, turn out uh, switching over to wide receiver so that was really good it looked a little shaky at first with a couple of bobbles but i mean he was able to to reel him in and uh it looks like he's going to be a really good addition to the receiving corp yeah to that point uh jamari joiner had f- the a leading number of receptions on the team with four tied with cunningham uh 72 yards a touchdown and along of 27 yards i thought he was a real revelation and in the past you know and there's plenty of criticism right now of the program and and someone but in the past and a quarterback um prospect like joiner coming to the university of arizona and have an opportunity to become a, a quarterback we would have lost that guy to transfer i think to another school where they yeah. have an attempt to become a, a quarterback and instead someone was able to salvage him and bring him in as a wide receiver now that transaction ha- transition happens all the time at a michigan or a, an oregon or a stanford or a usc but at arizona we generally lose these elite athletes that have aspirations of starting out as a quarterback in this case someone is able to salvage him and i think that's a real solid on someone do you have any thoughts on uh, being able to get him to stay with the program and make what i at this point would call a successful transition i think it's huge um i think he saw that you know gunnel was already going to be the next in line and i mean he made the smart decision he's 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 bigger than i thought and uh he's pretty athletic um and it was just a perfect uh, move for him if he wants to get some playing time and then maybe in the future as a pro yeah i think that's a great point so arizona like i said had hawaii kind of on the run they've got some momentum they've scored two three touchdowns now they've tied the game at 21 we're coming to the end of the second quarter, and there's only a minute and 47 seconds. And and this is one of the top opportunities you really felt like if the defense could hold, we could really flip the script and, and kind of get out from behind a, a real solid from push a push out of the gate from Hawaii. I think if you look back and, and realize Hawaii to this point had gone for it on fourth down three times and successfully completed it too, you know, they'd really come out guns blazing. And, and I think in fairness um, – to Hawaii's grit uh, caught Arizona off guard a little bit on their heels. And so now Arizona's leveling the field, but there's a minute and 47 seconds and uh, Cedric Bird and McDonald hook up for a series of three shot, three passes um, with one interval pass to smart uh, Jared smart for 14 yards that leads to a touchdown, the 35 yard pass to McDonald Arizona was running a zone. He goes right behind the linebackers and in front of the safety. In fact, the 
the middle high safety had gone over to the right side of the field and Bert Bird had nothing but uh, field in front of him and practically walked in for a 35-yard touchdown. I thought that was a real backbreaker as we tied the game and there was this, only a small amount of time. In fact, Arizona only had 23 seconds. And um, at that point, they, they try a couple plays like a, 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 a screen pass to Brightwell and Tate scrambles around for a couple plays. But they really never got enough momentum with only 23 seconds to, to threaten to score. And again, Hawaii pulls out by that touchdown lead. What do you think about the execution by Hawaii on that last minute and 47 second drive? Oh, we really needed to get a stop on that drive. So it was. I think that was one of the key moments in the game where we just gave up the big play right before the half. And then, yeah, like you said, we didn't have enough time to, to get back at them. So, yeah, that was just – that might have been where we lost the game almost right there. So at that point, Arizona's getting the ball to start the second half. Coming out of the half, Arizona's struggling to get rolling like they did in the first half. It's not quite as ineffective. And Tate's able to get a first down by hitting Joyner and hits Dixon for some yards. But eventually the drive peters out and the Wildcats have to punt – um, from their own 35. They had three drives in the first half and three drives in the second half that resulted in either turnovers or punting the ball and really only gained momentum late in the second quarter and fourth quarter, allowing Hawaii to extend its lead throughout the game. What do you think about the early half struggles of the program? Um, I'm not sure. I, I hope that we can start off hot and because I really expected us to come out of the half and, and hopefully put some points on the board. But again, just like uh, the, the start of the game, um, we, we just couldn't get anything going. I don't know. It just seems like it's, I don't know what the game planning is or what's going on, but uh, it just seems like we just can't get started. And it's just a slow start for us every time. So Hawaii gets the ball after the punt. Bird gets a nice 41 yard pass. The guy's really lighting us up. Uh, Lorenzo Burns gets a 15-yard pass interference call. You know, I didn't think it was that bad a call, but, you know, that could have gone either way. And then Hawaii really gets its running game going. At this point, the defensive ends and and the studs in particular, as the the, um, Hawaii offense was taking advantage of the over-penetration of the studs and defensive ends, such as Jalen Harris, they were coming in real real aggressively off the edge and leaving the outside available. And, and Fertura, who was the, the bigger power back for Hawaii, was actually able to get the edge. And he rushed for 15 yards and then subsequently for a three-yard uh, touchdown with lots of edge contained. I think our defensive line has some size that we've lacked in the past. That's a good improvement. We didn't get a lot of interior rush from our defensive tackle and defensive end, but they're relatively new to the program. And and I know that there's been a lot made of their conditioning and how they've made strides uh, during the uh, spring, excuse me, the fall camp. But now our studs are coming too aggressively off the edge and leaving the outside available. We've been vulnerable to the run in the past. I felt like it was a real setback for the defense and they really took advantage of it. Did you have any thoughts on the Hawaii's ability to run against Arizona? Um, I was surprised that they were able to run so effectively. And then uh, they, yeah, when they punched it in uh, from three yards out, it was looking like we weren't going to be able to stop them. Um, and I don't know if you saw on Twitter when uh, the Hawaii Twitter was trolling us, saying, oh, we got a run game, who knew? Or they were saying something to that effect. But that was kind of something else there. I'll focus on it more in the fourth quarter, but I, I think this was – 
probably a technique issue by the studs in the game because it was being executed by multiple players, but it had no it had no logical rationale for why that stud would come in so interior. It's not like they had uh, you know a, a linebacker or a safety squatting on the edge to back them out, and it was part of a scheme, or there was a stunt involved where they got caught on the interior. This was just an overly aggressive penetration to the interior. And I don't know if that was some sort of scouting by Coach Iona and Coach Yates as it relates to Hawaii's run game, and they altered it, but it happened well throughout the second half and, and allowed a guy like Fertura, who's hardly a speed back, to bounce the outside and make some significant runs. Um, so uh, Arizona gets the ball, and we won't belabor the fact that um, they at, – at this point, Hawaii's up 35-21. Arizona gets the ball back. We're not going to belabor the point that the offense struggled again. It, it's three plays and out. They have the ball for 56 yeah. seconds, and they get minus two yards. It's these kinds of drives that I felt like really put the defense in a tough situation. We were, we were tied, then we're down by one. To your point, that was a great play by Hawaii. You got to tip your hat. They pulled ahead. We gave up that big play. That, that's on the defense. But then the offense comes out and lays two eggs, and Hawaii's offensive score. So now we're down by 14 again. The, the, the offense has had the ball for a total of just over three minutes and barely strung together a first down. And now the defense is going out for the third time on the field, or excuse me, the second time on the field. And I could see how that would demoralize them, especially with an, a minute under minute drive. Fortunately, they do come out with some aplomb. Uh, McDonald throws an incomplete pass for Tura, rushes again for 17 yards. But Chris Young comes in and knocks the ball out. He had two forced fumbles in the game. I thought one of the things Chris Young did real well was run support, especially forcing those fumbles. And coming after a big dude like Fertura was especially uh, impressive. What do you think about his ability to force the fumbles in the game? Oh, I thought it was impressive also. I mean, there was a couple of um, lapses in coverage, but as far as when he was creating turnovers and uh, making stops, that was huge. So, yeah. He definitely has a lot of potential. He had six total sacks, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. So I think he acquitted himself very nicely in the run support role as a safety. Not all his coverage was was great, but Bird also has a history of taking advantage of um, secondaries. And this yeah. offense creates opportunities for their wide receivers. So I don't know that I would throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, as it relates to the secondary at just at this point. So Arizona gets the ball back again. Um, Arizona continues to struggle. Three plays, two yards, one minute and seven, sec- seven seconds of possession for them, and the defense is right back out on the field. McDonald hits Bird for a nice 21-yard pass. Um, McDonald misses a pass to Ward, and then – Hawaii goes back to rushing the ball, and Chris Young forces his second consecutive fumble. You covered how great Chris Young looked in the run support game. And Arizona has a ball back for consecutive drives after creating turnovers. So not only do they have four interceptions in the game, they have two forced fumbles with the turnovers. That's six total turnovers in the game. I was going to look up the stat for how often a team loses with a, I think it was a plus four turnover ratio. I don't know what that is. I'll tweet it out when I find it, but it's not very often. And so I would largely put the reason for us losing this game on our six drives where we were able to produce very little offensive production while Hawaii was obviously able to produce at a very consistent rate, including the turnovers. Would you put it on that, or would you put it more on the defense's inability to stop Hawaii from 
producing? No, I'm putting it more on the defense. Um, I just think if you give up uh, that many yards um, and, you know, to a quarterback like McDonald, who ended up getting pulled later in the game, um, we put up enough points, and I think that we should have been able to stop him. I think most people would uh, share your sentiment, but I, I think the offense's inefficiency really puts the defense in a difficult situation. I'd also point out that I think the tempo of a team really impacts the ability of the defense to be effective. This is a high-tempo team that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. You're basically sacrificing defensive efficiency by having a high-tempo offense. Part of the reason why I was able to produce the uh, – efficiency it had not previously shown on defense against Arizona was one bad on us but two the fact that they were running the play clock as long as possible during their drives and so Hawaii had some scoring drives that were quite lengthy and that allowed time for their defense to rest and it was an intentional strategy by uh, Rolovich that I felt was effective. You look at programs like Oklahoma State or Oregon, they're going to give up a lot more right. plays on defense because they're running a tempo. That's just the sacrifice. You That puts more pressure on you to score. But that's my my uh, soapbox version of what happened. So Arizona gets the ball back, and Mazzoni now recognizes that uh, the body blows from Arizona's running game is starting to wear down Hawaii. So he hands the ball off to J.J. Taylor in consecutive plays. He racks up 15 yard. Wiley gets another rush. Barry Hill gets a nice 14-yard pass from Tate. Uh, Tate scrambles around, gets another four yards. Uh, we get five yards on a penalty. Castile has an, uh, a quick uh, outlet pass for five yards. And then J.J. Taylor breaks one off and runs it in for a touchdown. Finally, the running game's going. It's now 28-35 for Hawaii. What you think about J.J. Taylor when he finally got some traction in the running game? It was good to see. It was good to see him finally get going. I mean, it was frustrating because I really thought that um, we were going to just start off the game by utilizing J.J. Taylor's skills and speed, um, you know, out of the backfield and just running the ball. Um, so that was good to see him finally get something out of it because I was just at that point, I think we were all frustrated um, not seeing him get very many touches. So hopefully next game he gets a lot more. Yeah, I think, again, it's NEU. He's going to get all he wants, but hopefully he's off the field pretty quickly and, and we can let Wiley rack up the crazy stats. So now we're down by seven. Uh, Hawaii gets the ball, and McDonald is passing down the field with the efficiency he's shown before. They start out on their 25. They're all the way down to Arizona's 44. And McDonald rolls to his right. He's under some pressure. He's scrambling. At this point, I will point out that Yates has switched Whitaker to Bird in the slot. Still running off coverage, but now it's Whitaker on Bird. And Whitaker, being the savvy senior, steps away from Bird, who settled down in the middle of the zone. And as McDonald runs to his right on the sideline, he gets tempted by Bird standing there in the middle of the field and throws back across his body. And Whitaker runs right in front of it and makes a beautiful, beautiful interception. What do you think about Whitaker's play on that in that particular situation? Oh, man, it was great. I mean, um, Whitaker was just all over the place. And he's definitely our best uh a best man in the secondary um and then it was just kind of crazy to see mcdonald make that kind of tr- throw terrible throw so uh but whitaker he's definitely uh much much needed and and i'm hoping that he gets uh you know a lot more of the interceptions uh as the year goes on because we really missed him last year yeah our last year last our loss last year is our gain this year arizona grabs the ball there they rush jj taylor again um 
Tate hits Castile for 15 yards. J.J. Taylor gets another run. And then they've been setting this game up, this play up all game. Um, there had been several quick uh, bubble screens to the outside that had gone for 5, 10, 15 yards. And Tate turns to his left and fakes a uh, quick bubble screen over at Castile, who does a beautiful job of jumping up in the air and acting like he missed the pass or was struggling to come down with it. Meanwhile, Barry Hill had con- come off his block and streaked down the sideline, and he's wide open. Tate hits him. For all my criticism of Tate on Twitter and my my personal feeling that it's the offense's early half struggles that put us in this situation. This was an, a really well-executed play by the offense. And I'd also point out that this play is very well set up, and a lot of our success um, with our game, our offensive success, and the numbers were copious, was set up by the pass blocking of the receivers, and specifically guys like Barry Hill, who are real overachievers and effort guys. I thought it was a, 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 a the kind of play you'd put in a textbook it was really beautiful. What do you think? All right. So, yeah, I also thought it was a thing of beauty. And, I mean, as soon as you saw the play unfolding, uh, you could tell that it was just going to be a uh, good play all the way around. So, hopefully we see more of that, uh, in, you know, during the season and more uh, of Mazzoni's uh, offensive uh, playbook. Yeah, and I, I think the effort from the wide receivers on the blocking really has been exemplary. All-time stupid uh, penalty on Barry Hill for high-fiving a fan in the stands. We have to kick off. And now, listen, we've gotten, oh, yeah. to, the, we've gotten to the fourth quarter, and uh, it is pronounced Cordero. It comes out for McDonald. We just benched one of the Mountain West's most prolific quarterbacks. This guy's thrown for – a spate of touchdowns in the game. Let me give you McDonald's stat line when he gets benched in the fourth quarter. It was for the game. 29 of 41. He did have the four interceptions, and that's why he sat down for 379 yards, four touchdowns. This guy gets benched. Arizona's defense benched this guy. And I know the knock is yeah, on the defense. Yeah, I not believe it. Yeah, but they benched this dude. And that was an all-time bad decision at the end of the third. But now Arizona has worn down Hawaii. The run game's working. We're going into the fourth quarter, and we're tied. This is essentially an even game at this point. And now we have a cold quarterback off the bench. In my opinion, all the stuff prior to that, and, and Hawaii comes out and plays one plate in the fourth quarter. There's 44 seconds, and then we go to the fourth. So effectively, going into the fourth quarter, Arizona-Hawaii are even at 35 Arizona's worn down Hawaii's defense, and they've now had the backup quarterback brought in because they've they've benched McDonald. How we lost the game at this point is the point I think it becomes criminal. And so, you agree? Yeah, I I think at this point we should have salted the game away, and and we didn't. So. Hawaii's got the ball, and I think uh, Cordero really puts together a very nice drive. He has some struggles. He has some cold quarterback things he, you know, that happen to him. He throws a couple incompletions. Um, but he does get the ball out to his, 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 his playmakers, like Bird, a couple times. And they're able to get down the field, and they stall. Now, we don't create a punt in the game on defense until a subsequent drive in the fourth. But this is the first non-touchdown, and Hawaii has to kick a field goal. In fact, they called a timeout and thought about it because they thought about going for a fourth down for what would have been 
I believe, the fifth time. Point being, Hawaii is all in on this game, and we're finally getting some defensive effectiveness. We're wearing down their offense. This fresh quarterback off the bench isn't good. We're down by three, but I really feel like we flipped the table, and it's time for us to um, go win this game. Arizona comes out. It's 10-39 in the fourth quarter, and we're jamming the ball down their throat. Um, Wiley gets three yards. Tate scrambles for 22 yards. Um, he hits Cunningham for 21 yards. J.J. Taylor goes for six, Cunningham for five, and then J.J. Taylor for five. So we're down on Hawaii's 13-yard line. We're ready to take a four-point lead on this touchdown or, worst-case, tie the game. And Khalil Tate runs what I think most people would call an RPO. I don't know if he's making his read before the play, which is entirely possible. He's certainly not making the read during the play. That, that's very clear to me. But Tate has a bad habit on this particular play of launching this ball to the player running the slant or post come hell or high water, and he does. And Okiki, who's sitting in center field and sits in center field before the ball snapped, and he sits there after the ball snapped, and he sits there right until Tate hits him right on the numbers with the pass. Should not have been missed by yeah. Tate. This was an all-time bad read by Tate. I don't even know if you could call it a read. Sorry. This was like a blind man play. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. It was uh, – I don't even know. I just jumped up, and I was just like, I can't believe he made that play. I can't believe he did that. So, uh, yeah. just Just brutal. Oh, yeah. So – Hawaii gets the ball back. They run the ball all the way to the Arizona 48 on the return. Tate doesn't even try and tackle the guy. He just kind of dances down the field line trying to get in his way. And right. um, Cordero does a couple of scrambles for some yards. And uh, we get, um, again, crushed by Bird for another touchdown. And this touchdown pass was seven minutes left in the first half. Now, we went from almost 11 minutes in the first half to seven and a half minutes. We went from potentially taking the lead, or worst case, likely tying the game, to now down by 10 points off a bad decision and lack of execution. And then this pass from Cordero, he uncorks this ball so late. Bird's wide open. He's behind the linebacker in coverage, but he's in front of – they're running a Tampa 2 here, and um, he's behind the, the sticks coverage in zone. But Schooler's dropping straight back to the middle of the field to cover that empty space, and then the overhead cover 2 safety's coming above him. And for five yards, Bird's wide open about 15 yards down the field, which would have easily been a touchdown anyhow. But uh, Cordero misses his window, throws it so late that the ball sails on the complete other side of Schooler, and this guy catches the ball behind Schooler, who really was positioned pretty well. He just couldn't turn and make a play on the ball. This was a lucky play and a nice catch by Bird, but poor execution by Hawaii's quarterback to make it a 10-point lead. At some point, you got to feel like you're not going to win the game. And the other team's got it going for them. Whether you believe it's luck or or karma or they created the luck or however you want to look at it, at this point, I just felt like we went from what seemed like a sure win to pretty much a sure loss. What was your thoughts on that oh, yeah. play? No, I feel the same way. I mean, it was just like uh, it was gut-wrenching. I thought that we were, we were going to be able to make a comeback at the end there. But it just once once I saw that play happen happening, I was just like, oh, man. I, like you said, I don't know if it's luck. Luck was on their side, or 
or what, but that's what it felt like. Yeah, sometimes, you know, the better team's not going to win the game. That's just how it goes. That's the beauty of sports. And I, I think you got to give Hawaii a lot of credit for, for want to. You know, they, they, they may have – they willed that into – happening uh with all the fourth down attempts and the belief in the effort and all those things and i think arizona uh felt like they were going to roll in and win this game because they absolutely crushed hawaii at home the last time they played and that's on arizona for not coming in there and, and taking their opponent seriously so there's five minutes left we're down by 10 there's a chance to salvage this obviously as we ended up one yard short and uh tate hits barry scrambles out to his right he gets pressure he gets flushed out of the pocket finds barry hill uh, heading down the field on a post and just hits him for a beautiful 57 yard pass this really is tate's strong suit he's improved in a lot of aspects of his game but the two things he's always been able to do is outrun everybody on the field with some incredible explosiveness and then scramble around and hit these crazy long passes with good accuracy it's pretty rare he overthrows a wide receiver in these particular situations even though he's scrambling out of position oh, exactly yeah, I thought it was a real beautiful play. What'd you think about Tate hooking up with Billy Barry Hill yet again? Uh, just I think that they have a connection, which is uh, really good to see. And I mean, I thought that we had a chance to win it still once we, once I saw that play happen. Um, so yeah, it was just uh, uh, just hoping that that uh, is a connection that we see a lot more throughout the year. Uh, yeah, agreed and amen. So at this point, the the stall the drive stalls. And on the 20, which is, you know, unfortunate, but we, we need a field goal to knot it up and get it to overtime. So, um, it goes full clown car show here and the clowns come rolling out of the car. There's a penalty on their zone delay game. They wait until 15 seconds with Tate standing on the field. I don't know what he's thinking. It's, it's third and 12. That's not a high likelihood, uh, a conversion. So they, they finally get the, Kicking squad out there. It's the late game. Then there's a false start. Then there's another false start that I really thought was on Hawaii. But at this point, it's so bad. Now, there's five minutes left. And almost four minutes, 3.58 when we finally, you know, call a timeout. We desperately need our three timeouts. And this timeout matters. And they have to call a timeout to settle down the team and get the special teams out there. The, the penalties were embarrassing. But ultimately, Haverisic made the kick from 53, which was impressive. And showed clutch, you know, clutch uh, characteristics from Haverisic being calm with all the chaos around him. But the fact that we wasted a timeout there really was the criminal aspect of this total shenanigan. What do you think about losing oh, exactly. that timeout? Uh, I thought that was brutal. I mean, uh, but the the good thing, like you said, was watching Haverisic uh, just come through clutch and and drill every field goal. But yeah, we needed the the timeout at the end. It turned out that that was what lost us the game. So uh, Hawaii starts driving. They're going to run the ball. Obviously, they're trying to kill time. There's three minutes and 53 seconds left. They've got a seven-point lead. So they start running the ball, and again, our ends are just crashing down too hard, and they're getting to the outside. And for whatever reason, when they get down to the 45-yard line, um, they stop running to the outside. In fact, they run this rollout pass play. And we get a sack on it by Schooler and Jalen Harris. And I think it's a testament to sometimes coaches get vapor lock. Something's working so well, they, they just can't believe they can run it for another time. I think on third and three, if Hawaii had run a similar outside run that they had done multiple times on this drive, they likely get the first down because we're still running a single high safety for no apparent reason. And we don't have adequate edge contained from the defense. And I, 
I don't understand why these issues are occurring. This could be a first game of the season thing. It might get corrected by Coach Iona and Coach Yates. But I found that particular aspect, as much as I've stuck up for Doctor or for Coach Yates in this whole debacle, I find that aspect to be very problematic. What do you think about our ability to force that first punt of the game late and give us a chance with 51 seconds? I mean, I totally agree. I, I couldn't believe that they – they didn't keep going uh, to the outside. I mean, our defensive ends uh, weren't ever dropping off uh, to the quick out passing lanes, and they just kept, you know, they were uh, they were totally uh, beating us by going on the going outside, running outside, um, and then for whatever reason they stopped doing it. Luckily for us, but we definitely got to make adjustments because that's that's one of our weaknesses. So Tate. Um has a complete pass to Castile for 11 yards. Um, he rushes for three yards. He hits Cunningham's for 26 yards on the left hash there. And so now we're at Hawaii's 44, and we have a chance. He hits Cunningham again for another 13, and we're on the 31. But because we don't have all the timeouts, we're down to 10 seconds. I don't think we have to belabor the last play. Everybody saw it one yard short. Manley Williams, which is a great name, is one of the defensive yeah. linemen that starts the rush, and he and his other defensive lineman colleague not only rush all the way upfield to pressure Tate, they come all the way back. One guy dives at Tate's feet at about the three-yard line and misses him, and then Manley gets him at the one from behind as uh, Kalen Hicks, one of the defensive back, hits him from the front, and he's done at the one. When he took off, I knew he wasn't going to make it. I thought he should have scrambled out of bounds and maybe thrown another pass up. Regardless, I don't think our odds were very good, and we'd put ourselves in the situation for a litany of reasons. When he took off, did you think he was going to create a moment? And I think, of course, the obvious second part of the question, the obvious um, image that comes to mind is the leap by the lake. Should he have dove? Would it even have been realistic? Oh, I totally thought that we were going to see the leap by the lake uh, 2.0, but uh, – I was on my feet when that play was going, when that play was happening. And I thought that he was going to, I thought he was going to get in the end zone. I thought he was going to do whatever it took. Um, I thought he was going to cut to the outside and possibly go out, have the option to go out of balance. Uh, but then watching the replay, I mean, it was just ha- all happening too fast. And he decided to go inside. And like you said, he got tackled by three Hawaii players. And yeah, so, uh, but I did actually think that he was going to, going to get in. I thought he was going to just, do whatever it took but i mean i'm not saying that he didn't do whatever it took but you know it just it was just frustrating to see us stop get stopped a yard short like that i'll go ahead and say he didn't do whatever he took and i'll tell you in this game there were several situations where tate had a third down and he was scrambling and it was maybe if he if he could have ran for it and he just walked out of bounds and let the drive in that happened multiple times i made that observation on my twitter feed i think exactly I think I hope the, I hope the coaches tell him to to, th- to get rid of the ball and just throw it out, throw it, uh, you know, instead of running out of bounds like that. So or or run and maybe take a strategic hit. You don't have to run like you did your first year, where you're dropping your head and taking on every linebacker and safety every time you run the ball. You know, fifteen yeah, exactly. times a game, but four times a game on a third down where you have a shot at it then I think you ought to at least take a hit. You know, you don't have to go head-to-head with them, but at least take your chance there. You never know when you can make someone miss or they're going to be able to lean and get it. And, and there's, you know, you got to pick and choose, and that's a want-to thing. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and indict Tate on that. I, I don't think that could just be a keep-yourself-safe thing. You know, last year we had Doyle. 
true freshman uh, as a backup this year. We have Ganell, who's already catapulted himself, I think, into the clear number two, as, as um, Gabe and I discussed. I think that whole nonsense about uh, little R, little R being the backup quarterback is largely situational and just a coach's coach to another coach's son sign of respect for all his knowledge and hard work has nothing to do with the reality of his ability. Little R, little R is not a D one quarterback. And so um, we've got Gunnell and we have Doyle who's now a red shirt freshman. We have plenty of depth at quarterback. If Tate is to miss a little bit of time, which we really didn't have last year when we had to start little R, little R at UCLA. So Tate ends up with, um, uh, uh, 13 rushes for 121 yards or an 8.3 average, which leads the team. Um, quite the day rushing. He racked up a ton of stats. He was 22 of 39 with those two de- devastating intercepts. Well, the one devastating interception, the one that really wasn't on him, 361 yards, three touchdowns, two sacks. Um, you know, quite the stat line. Um, but and J.J. Taylor comes in with 14 rushes for 69 yards uh, and a touchdown with a 4.8 average, which, which wasn't bad, uh, all things considered with the early struggles. I'm sure he'll have better days. But the real star of the game was Cedric Bird, 14 receptions, 224 yards, four touchdowns. The guy absolutely had a career day. I think there was things that oh, were yeah. done to limit his damage, but a, a lot of it was him and his quarterbacks. And I, and I think um, you got to tip your cat to cat to tap. You got to tip your cap to those guys. What'd you think about Cedric Byrne and, and what would you do to put the final touches on the game? Um, I mean, I think he, he had an incredible game. I mean, we couldn't stop him. Um, I mean, he's a really good player. You could tell that he, he you know, even when we made the adjustments, uh, he was just the player that we had to worry about the most. And, yeah, I'd definitely give it up to him and also give it up to the uh, Hawaii coaches because they totally outcoached us offensively and defensively, I think. I think it just came down to that pretty much is why we really lost the game in the end. Yeah, I think both in preparations and uh, in adjustments, although not as bad as initially in, indicted, um, you could say that their offensive, uh, the, their entire coaching staff outdid Arizona's. I would end with my observation that Khalil Tate, after that play where he got tackled on the one, immediately got up and walked off the field. He didn't shake hands with any of the other players. I don't think that that's a a huge indictment of Tate, but I think it's a reflection of sportsmanship and team leadership. And and I think a chemistry issue that's been, been bubbling under the surface for quite a while. And, and I'm not sure is completely unfair to put a lot of that on Tate, whether it's fair or not. The team's going to look to the quarterback, and especially a senior quarterback, for, for its leadership. And I think that's largely been lacking in Tate's tenure, and I think that's a fair criticism. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I saw that, and I was just like, okay, I, that's, that's a little a little alarming. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think that just reflects poorly on him and the team. So uh, Arizona was minus 11 over under 74. Uh, obviously, Arizona lost, and so they did not cover. The, we, there was 83 total points. So all of us on the over hit except Gabe. Um, most of us were being homers except Gabe, so he hit on the Hawaii pick there. Let's move on to a delicious 12-pack, Javi. What gets you drunker quicker? What comes in bottles or in cans? Beer. Can't get enough of it. Beer. How we really love it. Beer. Makes me think I'm a man. Beer. I could kiss and hug it, beer. but I'd rather chug it. Beer. Got my belly out to here. Beer. I could not refuse it. Beer. I could really use a beer. Beer, beer, beer. 
I can remember how much I have had. So UCLA yeah. heads to Cincinnati. Uh, at the time, UCLA was uh, minus two and a half with an over under of 58. Uh, Cincinnati um, won this game 24 14. There's only 28 total points covered. We had all taken Cincinnati because of a lack of faith in Chip Kelly and the UCLA program. And we all hit the under because we knew their offense was going to be abysmal. I saw a good chunk of this game. It wasn't the primary game I was watching, I was watching it off to the side. But the big, I think, storyline in this game was uh, DTR's performance in his second year in the system. He was 8 for 26 with 156 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions and two sacks. This was a real struggle fest and made our offensive production look very, very impressive. Do you have any thoughts on Dorian Thompson-Robinson and his uh, debut with UCLA, Javi? No. <laughs> Probably the safest commentary on that. All right, on to the next game. ASU is a parent is the one person who is supposed to make their kid think they can do anything. Says they're beautiful even when they're ugly. Thinks they're smart even when they go to Arizona State. Let the rest of the world tear your kid down. Your job is to support him no matter what. Hosting the Kent State Golden Flashes, ASU's Giving away 25 points with an over-under of 60. Kent State manages to get 7 points. ASU 30. ASU does not cover. And the under hits at 37 uh, total points. Um, You and I and Brandon all had the under. Uh, Gabe had the over, which, you know, I think historically ASU's played well at home, but they're breaking in a new freshman quarterback. They lost a first-round draft pick. Uh, at wide receiver, and so I think the offensive struggles were understandable despite playing Kent State. He had the over and miss there. We all thought ASU was going to cover against uh, lowly Kent State, and they did not. So not a particularly good bet on that one from us. I want to make a point about a player for Kent State, or a couple points about the game. Uh, Matt Turk's son is punting for ASU, and he had something like a 67-yard average in this game, which was an NCAA record. His punting was by far the most impressive aspect of ASU's performance in the game. It was utterly shocking. At one point, he punts from like inside his 10. The ball sails over the the return guy who's standing at the 40 lands at like the 20 and rolls like inside the 20. It is literally like an 80 yard uh, field flip. It was impressive. That was one of his better punts. He had some mundane punts, but some of these were just absolutely double take punts. It was unreal. And then um, there was another kid for Kent state who was voted the Mayo clinic comeback athlete of the year. And this kid was number 10. Let me pull him up. Antoine Dixon. This kid missed the last two years of football dealing with cancer. And he comes back as a redshirt senior and he's catching balls in the game. So shout out to Antoine for fighting cancer, coming back and and representing this game. I thought that was really nice um, to see that. Um, Jalen Daniels makes his debut for ASU. He looks nice. He has a decent stat line. And, um, and I, I thought that he acquitted himself well, given it was his first game. I'm not ready to uh, crown him like most of the ASU uh, fandom is, but they're they're 
prone to early judgment. He went uh, 15 for 24 for 284 yards, two touchdowns, but he had five sacks in the game. Any thoughts on Jalen Daniel taking over at ASU? Uh, it's kind of hard to tell, I mean, um, until they get uh, a step up in competition. But, I mean, he looks decent. I just think we got to wait and see how he, how he plays once he starts playing the bigger name, bigger teams. Yeah, I think that's completely fair, and that's certainly not going to happen uh, with them taking on um, Sacramento State tonight. So uh, don't hold your breath for them to hit any competition until next week. So they're going to be two and out of the gate, and Jalen Daniels is going to have some nice stats, and ASU is going to be crowning them in, uh, a Heisman candidate and them a national championship team before they play anybody. But that's pretty standard Tempe stuff. Utah travels up to Provo to see BYU. Utah has given up six point with an over-under of 48.5. Utah pretty much takes BYU to the woodshed, but I think this score was a little bit deceptive. It was relatively close uh, out of the gate and for quite a bit of the game. I've only been able to watch the first half so far, and before the next weekend starts, I'll try and wrap that up. But if I don't get to it, I don't think it's that consequential. I was really watching to see how Utah's offense would look with their new offensive coordinator, and I think it really looked reflective of what you'd expect from Utah. Tyler Hunley was very Tyler Hunley at 13 of 16 with 106 yards. But Zach Moss looked like an absolute beast. 29 attempts, 195 yards at 6.4 and a touchdown. He's going to be a real monster this year, and their offense is going to go as he goes. Also, just a shout-out to uh, Gunnar Romney, uh, an Arizona kid who's up at BYU, three receptions for 33 yards. A kid with a game name like Gunnar Romney was definitely going to go to BYU, and there wasn't much chance he was staying in the state, but uh, he did pop up in the game, so there was a familiar face. Um, we had mixed picks on here. I actually thought BYU was going to acquit itself a little better, might hold it closer. I was the only one who thought that all you guys took Utah and was correct, but I did call the under because I just think taking the under with Utah's offense is going to be the way to go this year. I know there's a lot of buzz about Utah just taking the Pac-12 to the woodshed. I think they've got a great team. I think they've got a great defense, and Zach Moss is a great player. But their offense continues to be Utah's offense. I do not think they're going to have the success they had last year with an overall improved Pac-12 South, but that's just my opinion. Thoughts on how Utah acquitted itself against its BYU in its first game of the season? Javi? Um, I caught a little bit of the first half, and, and it, as far as I can recall, it was kind of close. Um, I know they usually own – BYU, I think they've won like six or seven straight. It's more like nine or something like that, but yeah, it's oh, quite nine a straight. Few. Yeah, some, so I mean, it's quite a few. I figured, I assumed that Utah was definitely going to just win handily. So um, when when they ended up winning thirty, what was it thirty to twelve? Uh, final score was thirty to twelve. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I mean, I, I thought that they were going to look a little better, but they're definitely uh, the team to beat as far as um, as concerned of the pack. Yeah, I don't think you're alone on that, but I'm going to go ahead and push back on that one. I would not, um, I'm not ready to give it to him. I, I don't think the South is as down as it was previously. Uh, CSU rolls into Colorado. Colorado's given up 13 and a half with an over under 55 and a half. Uh, Colorado wins 52-31, and they cover. They hit 83 points, so it hits the over. I'm the only one that had Colorado in the over. Both you and Gabe were thinking Colorado State. I know Colorado had its struggles last year, but if you think about them losing LaVisca Chenault, who came back 
um, in this game and had three receptions for 48 yards and a touchdown. Um, I think it really just threw him off the rails and things got sideways on him last season. They had a lot of injuries. I remember in the game against Arizona, they were, they started out with like their second string running back and he got injured and they were on their third string running back. And, and it really impacted their ability to run their offense. Their, their second string running back kept trying to come out injured and it just it limited their ability. I don't know. Montez was everything we thought he would be in flashes, kind of like a Burko at ASU analogy. He was 13 for 20 for 232 yards and two touchdowns. But I think that the team has enough returning talent, not maybe to win the Pac-12 South again, but to be a reasonable contender um, in the Pac-12 South and not the pushover they were in the second half of the season. Any thoughts on that game, uh, game Javi? Um, I didn't get get to really catch that game, but I did see that it was a high-scoring game. So I was kind of surprised by um, Colorado putting up so many points. Um, I know they have a uh, second-best receiver, I think, in in – in college football, so they definitely have uh, offensive weapons. But yeah, I didn't think they were going to put that many points up. So we'll see how they how they do the rest of the season. Yeah, I think their offense will be more more impactful than people would have given credit for based on last year's results. I think there's a lot of um, last year hangover in how people are judging the program. I don't think they're going to fall off the map um, quite as much as they did previously. That is my take. But yeah, um, so the Beavers... uh, ...host uh, Oklahoma State... Um, and Oklahoma, the Beavers are getting 14 points in this game. Oklahoma State wins 52-36. Oklahoma State's able to cover the over-unders at 72, and they hit 88 points, so they're able to uh, hit the over. All of us felt like with Oregon State, and I think this was a mistake on our part out of the gate, we all felt like the under was going to hit. I think I personally was lulled into the thought that Oklahoma State's traveling to Corvallis. They're going to have that sort of Corvallis effect where they're not going to be able to run quite as high octane. But one of the funny things about Oregon State over the last two seasons is they actually have a pretty good offense, and so they will run points. So I think in the future I'm going to lean on um, Oregon State and the over because their defense really is one of their bigger Achilles heels, but they can put up points. For instance, uh, Jake Luton was able to go 23 for 42, 251 yards with three touchdowns against Oklahoma state team. That's got a lot of defensive talent, but um, Oklahoma state ultimately was able to rack up quite a few yards with Hubbard with 26 rushes for 227 yards and three touchdowns. And, um, you know, quite a few receivers catching touchdown passes against, including Wallace and Moore. Um, so uh, that's my take on the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Oregon State game. It's tough with the two OSUs in there. Um, and that's how I'm looking for Oregon State. I don't think it's going to be a surprise when Oregon State takes out a Pac-12 team or two this year. They are certainly more resilient and capable. Uh, Jamar Jefferson, who was the real breakout true freshman in the Pac-12 last year, uh, had 16 rushes for 87 yards at a 5.4 average. I just think the athleticism difference between OSU and OSU is such that Jamar really couldn't get things rolling. But Lude had himself a pretty decent game. Any thoughts on Oregon State and Oklahoma State? Um, I mean, I, I pretty much expected Oklahoma State to put up uh, a lot of yards and score a lot of points, but it was good to see Oregon, Oregon State also score over 30. Um, 
and it'll be interesting to see how they actually do against Hawaii when they play Hawaii. So that's what I was thinking when uh, once that game was over. Fantastic tease. We're going to get into the, the lines on that, and it's going to be very interesting how Vegas chose that game. Maybe some validation of, of Arizona we will see, but I don't want to give that up just yet, uh, Javi. Right. Um, so uh, Stanford is uh, playing Northwestern. Stanford was given up six and a half points with an over-under of 47.5. Stanford, the offensive juggernaut that is Stanford, crushes out 17 points. Northwestern's only able to get seven. Stanford covers, but the under hits. I think, you know, betting Stanford in the under is like uh, taking candy from a baby. Um, This was a real ugly game. Uh, K.J. Costello, whose final stat line was 16 for 20 for 152 yards. And a touchdown gets a forearm shiver by a, a diving defensive uh, player from Northwestern and basically gets knocked out. I pulled a article from John Wilner's paper, and he was questionable for the game. But the left tackle, Little, who also left with a lower extremity injury, is out for multiple games. I would argue losing Little on an inexperienced Stanford offensive line is actually a an inexperienced but talented Stanford offensive line is actually a bigger setback than losing Costello because Davis Mills came in and nicely distributed the ball. He was 7 for 14 for 81 yards. He was acceptable. Cameron Scarlett had 22 rushes for 99 yards um, for a 4.4 average. Mixon got six touches, and uh, various other running backs came in and contributed. So I think Stanford, despite throwing the ball around quite a bit last year, is going to get back to their running ways. I think that was more of an aberration than than an ongoing tread for Stanford. Um, All of us had Fern. All of us had the under. I think we were very clairvoyant in that pick. Would you think, Javi? Uh, I think the same. I'm thinking the same thing. I think that they're going to be go back to uh, being a running team. Um, I only caught a little bit of this game when I saw. I think it was 10-7 at one point. Um, so it wasn't a surprise when I saw 17 to seven. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see if they continue to run the ball the rest of the season. Yeah, I think you could, you could put money on that one. So uh, the Pac-12 Crown Jewel of the weekend was. Oregon and Auburn neutral site at Jerry World. Uh, Oregon was getting three and a half points with an over under 55.5, which I thought was crazy, but turns out I was completely wrong. Um, Auburn (laughs) is able to cover with uh, six points and at 48 total points, they hit the under. Um, You and... um, Excuse me, Gabe and I had Auburn, and uh, Gabe was the only one of the three of us smart enough to take the under. You had two swing and a misses with Oregon and the under on this game. Uh, Bo Nix came out nicely for Auburn. He went 13 for 31 with 177 yards, two touchdowns. He did throw two interceptions. Uh, Justin Herbert, in very duck-like numbers, was 28 for 37 for 242 yards with a touchdown. C.J. Verdell had a 5.4-yard rushing average on 14 attempts with 79 yards. Die had six touches with a 3.8 average. Felix got in there for a couple touches on some in-arounds and whatnot and had a 3.5 average. Very Oregon-esque offensive game. I thought their defensive line looked intimidating. They came up to a very early... um, lead in the game 
Uh, they pulled out 14 to three in the first quarter, and then Auburn was only able to scratch out another field goal in the first half. So they had a substantially in the first half. Third quarter, both teams exchanged touchdowns, but then Auburn's able to close with two touchdowns. The play where um, uh, Herbert just has the ball scored out of his hand, and Auburn returns it for that long return, and is is just emblematic of Oregon's inability to live up to its recruiting potential. As we used to call that Clemsoning, I think we should call it Oregoning. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I uh, I, I was uh, keeping track of the game, and then when I saw Oregon was up, I think, two touchdowns, I totally thought that they were going to take this game and then uh, check back in at the end of the game, and then they they lost it. So I was just like, oh, man. So, uh, yeah, I thought that they were going to make a statement, have a statement win with this one, but they missed out. I really had trouble picking the subsequent Oregon game because I'm not sure if they're going to come out angry or or this is going to be an ongoing trend. So that'll be uh, an interesting thing going forward. Some uh, games. <clears throat> so a, a quickie game, uh, Washington State. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. Is hosting New Mexico State University. Washington State was giving up 32 points with an over-under 64.5. Gave it up Washington State, Cougars 58, New Mexico State 7. Washington State covered easily. They hit the over, but just barely. I was very confident picking the over. Gabe had the under. You had the under, and they barely scratched by by half a point. Gabe thought New Mexico State and all those points was going to be attractive, but it wasn't good enough. You and I both had Washington State. The Pirate delivers a win. I would say my big takeaway from watching this game, and, and again, I watched this one on the side. I didn't think it was a big consequential game, was the new quarterback was coming into uh, Washington State. Would Mike Leach be able to take another transfer quarterback and, and not miss a beat? And, of course, that was the case um, again. So I think it's something you can pretty much, now that he's had his successful Gardner Minshew, um, I don't think it's going to be a problem for Leach to take these guys and plug and play them. And he's actually publicly espoused. And I don't, it'll be interesting to see how it impacts his recruiting going forward that he feels like this is how he should approach quarterbacks in the future. Just bringing a grad transfer guy, uh, acclimate him to the system and, and lean on that experience. There's certainly going to be plenty of opportunities to do that. There's always guys transferring, but I, I wonder what it'll do with, with his recruiting. Gordon Anthony, Anthony Gordon, excuse me, went twenty nine for thirty five for four hundred and twenty yards and five touchdowns. And unlike Gardner Menchu, he did give up one sack. It's just insane that he can perpetually bring in a guy and make him as effective as the last one. It is. I understand it's a system thing, but it's mind boggling. No one's figured out how to stunt that ability. Uh, props to the pirate. Oh yeah. Any other comments on those guys? Um, no, they put up a lot of points, and that wasn't surprising. So it's just Washington State's uh, contender. And, yeah, it's got to give uh, props to uh, uh, Mike Leach. Leach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got to give props to Leach for, for changing uh, Washington State and um, making them fun to watch. Yeah, I remember when the AD hired uh, Lee Chi and said, we probably have one of the worst athletic programs in the country. The, the AD said that. And we might have been in the race for him. I don't know how much Leach interest had interest in here. But, um, you know, I remember espousing uh, Rich Rod is a better option than Leach. And 
I couldn't have been more wrong on that. Just absolutely two completely tra- trajectories from programs that I think have comparable issues, you know, <clears throat> in-state football competition and then Pac-12 football competition, local talent issues. Uh, although I think Arizona is getting better, but most of it's in the Valley. So it's pretty yep. amazing. And his recruiting's as bad, if not worse, than Arizona's, and he's able to produce at a much higher level. USC. Uh, hosts Fresno State. USC's given up 13.5 with an over-under of 52.5. USC 31, Fresno State 23. Uh, USC didn't cover. They did hit the over. I really felt like this was going to be an under game. I wasn't sure that USC's offense was going to come out with quite the same potency. And uh, Fresno State was starting a true freshman. But they were able to hit the over, so you and Gabe hit that. Um, I did feel like Fresno State was going to keep it close. I think Tedford's got quite a bit going on with that program. You and Gabe both liked USC, and subsequently we split the picks on that game. I think the news of this game, JT Daniels goes 25 of 34 for 215 yards, a touchdown, interception, and a sack. He looks much improved after last year's early start. Uh, the reporters were stating that he said he felt better because he shaved his his uh, freshman mustache. That's why he was more <laughs> confident in the program. I thought that was funny. He took a little jab at himself, showed some maturity, and then subsequently the poor kid blows out his – I think he blew out his ACL. Regardless, he's yeah. out for the remainder of the season. Um, and Slovis uh, – uh, Keaton Slovis comes in, only gets eight attempts, um, completes six of them, 57 yards, and throws an interception. Um, I think it's hard to say this is going to not be a big setback for USC. Um, their offensive running game looked amazing. Uh, Malapai had 23 rushes for 153 yards, a 5.8 um, average, 134 yards total, a touchdown. Stephen Carr, 6 for 56 at 9.3 and a touchdown. Uh, you know, they can just parade out five-star linebackers. Tyler Vaughn's had 11 receptions. Uh, I'm, on Saint, I'm on Ross St. Brown, five receptions. Pittman, six receptions. The team stack with talent. I think as long as Slovis isn't as having as much difficulty as, as JT Daniels did with the transition. Again, another true freshman. Um, and it may not be fair to say, I had banked a lot on USC returning to some degree of prominence. Now, that record last year for USC was the worst in like 18 years or something crazy. Um so they don't lose, have losing seasons very often, and having consecutive seasons would probably even get uh, Clay uh, fired, which seems to be a, the undoable task. But it was interesting um, that they're going to be faced with this transition yet again after so much had been put in the JT Daniels um, ba- basket of eggs. Any thoughts on him going out for the season? Oh, I thought that was a shocker. Once uh, I heard the news that he went out, he he went down. Uh, first, they were saying it wasn't such a such a, as bad as it of an injury as they thought it, it was, and then it turns out he's out for the season. So, uh, I think it's a huge blow for the Trojans, um, and they got like a tough six game gauntlet coming up. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't really see him coming up with the uh, winning season this year. Wow, that would be impressive if that uh, happened. Um, you know to you know, two seasons in a row, that would be a crazy set of circumstances for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so moving on to UW, they're hosting Eastern Washington University. Eastern Washington University certainly can be pesky, uh, but there's not much to take from this game. UW, giving up 21 points, absolutely smashes them 47 to 14. They cover. 
the over under was 42 and that hits uh, big time. You and I both had UW in the over. Gabe had the under and UW, so we all hit it to some degree in this game. Uh, Eastern, excuse me, uh, UW is breaking in a new quarterback in Jacob Eason. He went 27 for 36 and 349 yards with four touchdowns. I think he quitted himself well as a transfer quarterback. This is an area that had been real hit or miss in the past. Uh, there's a lot of graphics out from ESPN and all the other sports channels about all the transferring quarterbacks. I'll try to retweet that out if I can find it. Uh, but long and short of it, the only guy that really looked like he was lost was a guy who transferred to uh, Missouri when they went up to um, um, was Wyoming and got beat up there. That guy looked lost. He looked like a dude that needed a transfer. But there's been plenty of transfers in and out that have largely been high recruiting ranking quarterback flameouts. But there seems to be a trend like basketball. You can really gain a lot of experience somewhere else. And quarterbacks start out in a group of five team and then subsequently transfer to a power five conference to really buff out their um, resume before they move on to the pros. That certainly has happened. But a lot of these high recruits that go to competitive programs don't get the starting position then transfer. Um, haven't necessarily had success subsequently in programs. And that seems to be a trend that's changing. So that'll be something to keep on an eye on largely in college football as we go forward. Um, moving on, Cal hosts. If you want these kind of dreams, it's California. UC Davis, Cal was given up 13 points with an over under of 50. The first thing I tweeted out when I saw this line was, you got to take the under on that one. And it did hit. Um, me and Gabe had the under. You had the over. We all took Cal. Cal was able to cover at 27-13. But I tell you, I watched this game, and you see Davis was leading in the first half. Um, and Cal barely came. They were absolutely dominating. In fact, Cal comes out on the opening kickoff. They get the ball. I don't know why they didn't defer and, and give the ball to the, their defense. And immediately fumbles it. And I'm thinking to myself, Cal's really literally taken the concept of getting the ball to the other team as fast as possible to its absolute peak execution because they gave up the ball immediately on the kickoff. Uh, UC Davis scores, um, gets two more field goals. Cal struggles to get a touchdown, a couple field goals. And midway through the third quarter, this game's knotted at 13 all. And Cal eventually wears them down. Credit to Cal. Um, but this offense is going to continue to be a trash can fire. And I'm not sure that that's going to get much better as the season goes along. Um, I'm definitely going under on Cal going forward. So as we move through our 12-pack for the week, uh, Javi, let's go ahead and go through the games that we're going to be picking this week. Um, first game out of the shoot is tonight. It's kicking off here right about now, so we're technically getting our picks in before anything happens. Um, it's ASU hosting... My film was the biggest hit in Groff Community College history. I got a check plus plus. That's like a C at Arizona State. Uh, CSUS um, at and ASU is giving up 36 points with an over under of 63.5. This is on Pac-12 Networks. I felt like ASU's offense looked okay. I'm not, ex- I, you know, they had to replace their starting uh Center with a tr- with a, a true freshman, I believe he's a true freshman, and that wasn't expected. There was quite a bit of experience on the offensive line, but the depth wasn't there, as evidenced by starting a true freshman at center. We've seen how much that can impact the overall offensive line ourselves. Um, 
And so I don't know that ASU's offense is going to rattle quite like it did. Eno Benjamin looked like an absolute beast. But, you know, that's his skill set. If that guy gets injured the way Herm's running him, he's probably not going to come back quickly because he's had a ton of carries in Herm's system. And Herm gets an absolute pass while he's grinding the kid into the ground. But that's a, another topic for another day. I don't think they're going to hit the over. I think despite this being a lesser competition, ASU is going to do well, but not nearly as effective as you would think. Um and I'm going to go ahead and take them to not cover the 36 points. What do you think, Javi? Uh, no, I don't think they're going to cover either. And I'm going to take the under. All right, I like it. Let me just log you, lock that in for you, brother. Okay. There we got it. All right, next up on the slate, um, Pac-12 Networks on Saturday, September 7th. Um, 10 a.m., Pac-12 Networks. Uh, Northern Illinois University is coming back to University of Utah. University of Utah has given up 21 and a half points. This opened at 20 points. So betters are leaning towards Utah with an over-under of 43. It started out with an over-under of 45. So people are driving it to Utah and towards the under. I think Utah is going to win this pretty handily. Um, I think they look really good. They're ranked number 13 in the nation. I think they've earned a high ranking. Again, I think Hundley is going to be Hundley, but I think Moss is uh, a man amongst boys. I think they're going to cover this, but I still think the under is going to hit on this game. What say you? Um, oh, man, on this one, I'm thinking it's going to be what's – the, what's, the, what's the over and under? 43 it started out at 45 so people are betting the under yeah it's definitely going to be under and who are you taking i'm taking utah all right all right i got you locked in there brother all right next up on the slate saturday at 12 30 p.m on big fox number 25 nebraska the most ridiculously ranked team in the history of the ncaa football is giving up Four points opened at minus seven and a half. So at least the betters are recognizing Nebraska's a force. It's coming to Colorado with an over-under of 64, which was a previously 62 and a half. I'm not quite sure why they're thinking they're going to drive this up. Um, I will have to look at Connolly's projections. Why you give me your thoughts on that game, I'll pull his stuff. But I think it's interesting that they're driving the, the over, but picking Colorado. Um, that's kind of strange to me. What's your thoughts on that game, Javi? Mm, I think I think it's going to be over. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Why, why do you feel that way? Um, I, I just based off of uh, uh, Colorado's last game, and then Nebraska looked pretty good in their first week. So I think it's just going to be uh, pretty much a shootout. So for what it's worth, Bill Connolly, those of you that are going to be following along, has Utah at a seventeen point three favorite with an 84% win probability. He's predicting um, 30 to 12. So that's uh, interesting on the Utah game. But let's get back down to the one we're talking about here. Nebraska, Colorado. He has a projected win margin for Colorado of 2.4 points and a 56% projected Colorado win, which I think we all agree with. I would certainly take Colorado. Um, Yeah, I'm taking Colorado. And uh, a projected score forty-two to forty. So he wants that. He wants that over big time too. So you go in Colorado and over, brother. Good call on the yep. scoring there. 
All right, I'll lock you in. And so we're, right. we're lockstep on that one, amigo. Next at 1.15 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, San Diego State University is going to UCLA. UCLA is giving up a whopping 7.5 points. It was 8. I think that's absurd. I know San Diego State was a trash can fire in its opening game. Um, The over-under is 45.5, which is dropping like a stone from 51. It's interesting Vegas is adjusting so hard this season. Um, I don't know that I followed that as closely out of the gate. Maybe that's a first-few-game thing. Um, But I think the parity in college football has gotten so much that it's it's hard for people to – you can't just pencil in Nebraska and USC as automatic winners like you used to be able to do in the past Um, because there's more uh, equal talent distribution. Um, so I took San Diego state university. Um, I think they wouldn't even be, and I know they were a trash can fire on offense or game out of the, uh, out of the shoot, but I, you know, Rocky long over chip Kelly in a full, uh, spiral with, uh, what he's done at that program and his more recent NFL lack of success. Uh, I'll take a Rocky long on that one, even with UCLA at home and certainly getting the points. Uh, but I think it would be reasonable to put money on San Diego State, and I don't know what they're going off at, but you're going to get some plus money on that money line, I would think. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I think San Diego State takes it, and I'll take the over. Excellent. So you think there's going to be some uh, some scoring in this game, huh? Yeah, I think it'll be a pretty close game, but I think they'll both uh, get close to the 30s. Connolly has uh, UCLA as a 0.2 probability, excuse me, a 0.2 win margin, which is a 50% probability. He's projecting the score at 18 to 18. So it'll be close on that over under for sure. Uh, subsequently at 2 p.m. on the Pac-12 Networks, uh, UNCO, whatever the heck that is, is going to Washington State University. Uh, there's no line on this game that I can see. Um, not surprisingly, this is going to be Washington State absolutely destroying whoever these guys are. Oh, yeah. Northern Colorado, yeah, maybe. I'd, I'd, I'm going with the over in Washington State on this one. Yeah, I think. Well, there's no there's no line, so we'll just put it in there. Yeah, I mean, that's a gimme. <laughs> so they didn't even put a line out on that. Um, wow. You know, it's going to be a – I mean, what do you put the line at, like 80 or something crazy to make it competitive? Yeah. Uh, 68, something insane. Um, I mean, Washington State's previous line over um, – New Mexico State was 51, so gosh, it'd have to be well into the 70s. At what point does it just become, you know, it's like Bitcoin or something. You're just making up numbers. Um, exactly. So uh, 430, Pac-12 Networks. Nevada's going to be at Oregon. Oregon's giving up 24 points. Um, that's up from 21 and a half. I think the betters are thinking that Oregon's going to come out angry and crush Nevada over under 61. It's interesting. They're driving the line down the over under down again. Uh, it opened at 63. I actually think Oregon's going to come out and absolutely light Nevada up. I think Nevada acquitted itself pretty well, um, in their opening game, but, I think Oregon's going to come out with all that talent and all that anger and a lot to prove. And I don't think Oregon's going to have um, a particularly good year. I think they're going to subsequently fail. But I do think um, that this is a game where they're going to show, uh, you know, they're going to show all their colors, so to speak. What yeah, do you think I about agree. I one? think they're going to come out and I think they're going to win comfortably. And 
Um, I'll take the over also for the Ducks. All right, brother, I got you locked in. Uh, just for completeness' sake, uh, Connolly has Oregon at a projected win margin of seventeen point six, with a win probability of eighty four. He's projecting the game at forty four uh, to twenty six. Um, so, I, I think Oregon may lay more than that on uh, Nevada yeah, I myself. Seven thirty p.m. Fox Sports One. Cal is going to be at UW at a conference game. Uh, number 14 ranked UW, excuse me, that was number 16 ranked Oregon previously and number 22 ranked Washington State. I should be announcing where they're ranked as we go since the Pac-12 does have quite a few ranked teams. Um, Cal at UW, number 14 in the nation. Uh, UW's given up 13.5 points. The line opened up at minus 11.5, so that's getting driven up. The over-under is at 44.5, and it's down to 44. Cal's offense looked abysmal. I don't think there's any way you can take the over on this. Um, no. And they've got a good defense. And so, you know, I, th- I think the under is the, the, you know, cold stone lock of the century. I mean, maybe, you know, Cal and Stanford would be the only game this year where the under is a more obvious pick. Um, but what what – uh, Vegas is Vegas is going to put that number like a two or something, so you have to take the over. Um, so I do think UW is going to cover uh, 14 points. It's going to be interesting to see the evolution of um, UW with their new quarterback as Jake, um, Jake Browning has been long espoused as holding back the team. So it's going to be interesting to see how that does going forward. What do you think about that one? Um, yeah, I think Washington's going to win, and I'll take the over on that. You think they're going to cover too? Should I put you down for them covering? Yep. All right, let's see here if I can find. It's going to be on the late games here. California at Washington. It's 10.30. Yeah. So uh, Eastern, yeah. So Connolly's doing it by Eastern times here. So uh, California at Washington, he's got uh, projected win margin for the the Huskies at 20.7, which is an 88% win probability. He's projecting the game at 40 uh, to 19. So, um, you know, nice to know uh, he's with us on that one. Yep. Let me just lock in here, brother. All right. And also at 7.30, but on ESPN, number 23 Stanford is headed to USC. This started out as a pick game. Now USC is minus one with an over-under of 45. Started out at 43.5. Both teams are starting their backup quarterbacks at this point. Uh, Ferd lost its left tackle. USC's got a ton of talents at USC. I think if you're going to get a point, I'm going to take Shaw over uh, Clay Helton every day of the week and twice on Saturday. Um, but I think in this game with the backup quarterbacks, it's a no-brainer to take the under. So I went with Stanford and the under. Yeah, I wouldn't put money on this game, but I'll take Stafford in the under also. All right, I got locked you in. Connolly has uh, USC winning by 4.2 in his projected margin with a 59% win probability, and he's projecting this one at 27-23, which is, uh, which is interesting. That would be a lot more points than I would imagine this game producing, but you never know. A lot There's a lot of talent on those teams. Um, yep. 7.45 p.m. just to be different. Uh, Pac-12 Networks, NAU at UVA. We don't have a line on this game. Um, 
Connolly is giving a no, he doesn't have a line either. He is nope. going is going to give well let's go ahead and save that one. Let's go ahead and bang out this last one and then we'll come back to the Arizona uh right. game and pick that last. Uh but there's no line on that game, so we're just picking winners. It's kind of anticlimactic. Um right. at nine PM, and I'm not joking, Javi, the Pac twelve is going to have Oregon State University at Hawaii on Facebook Watch. Wow. Yeah, wow. Larry Scott <laughs> has has gone peak. We are the unplugged woke net woke conference uh, by having a, a Mountain West opponent playing one of his teams in his conference on Facebook Watch. That's how bad our organization is in this conference under his leadership, which absolutely needs to be gone yesterday. Um, Oregon oh, State yeah. is um, actually going to Hawaii and Hawaii is giving up six and a half points. This started out at Hawaii plus two and a half. That is not a typo people. Hawaii started out getting two and a half points. They are now giving up six and a half. So I thought, yeah, that's insane. Right. I mean, I, I can't (laughs) think of the last time I saw a line flip across zero on an ATS. That's, I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, And so um, pretty crazy. Um, I think it is a little bit of a validation for Arizona, especially after week one where, you know, the SEC had multiple upsets um, with Missouri losing to Wyoming, like I mentioned. Um, An FCS team came in and beat another uh, SEC team, I forget, which I'll tweet out the list of things that happened. Uh, Torres tweeted out, a whole list of SEC failures was four keynote ones. And listen, in the Pac-12, if we had four complete flops like uh, Cincinnati, UCLA, or Arizona, uh, Hawaii, you know, we're all walking around with our hands, our, our, our face in our hands. But in the SEC, they just explain these things away and, and act like it never happened. So a lot of that is perception is reality. But the parodies for real um, in college football now, and, and, and I think that's uh, earmarked by this. People were clearly impressed by Hawaii. Uh, taking the points away from them. And I thought Oregon State acquitted itself very well against a very powerful Oklahoma State team. So the over-under is at 78.5. I think this is the all-time over-pick of the week. And so I was completely okay with that. I went ahead and took Hawaii to cover, but I think this will be sort of an interesting transitive property discussion about Oregon State and U of A and where we fall out on the pecking order in the Pac-12. Last year, we played each other for what could have arguably been the basement if UCLA hadn't been so horrible. And um, we took out Oregon State. But I'm not entirely sure that that they're not equal to or better than us at this point. No, I think I think that Hawaii is going to take it to Oregon State. And I'm also going to pick Hawaii. Definitely take the over. Um, but I just don't see Oregon State stopping Hawaii after uh, watching them last week. So Connolly has projected Hawaii at 6.6 with a 65% win probability. He's projecting a 55-49 game. So it should be a fun game to watch if you have Facebook Watch. I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> Pac-12 Network, 745, just to be different. Like I mentioned, U of A, NAU. Um, I think it's great that it, both ASU and U of A bring NAU in on an alternating schedule. I think it's good for the state. I think Abor's pushed that as a thing to help uh, sustain NAU's program. Um, 
you know, I went to NAU. I, I started out as a lumberjack before I went to the U of A. So always happy to have uh, NAU. You see a lot of shirts in Tucson where it's a split lumberjack U of A. I'm sure a lot of people get their bachelors up there and then come down for their uh, more advanced degree. So a lot of um, collegiality in this matchup. I think Arizona is going to roll hard on this. Uh, Connolly's projecting this one at 57-21. I expect um, Grant Gannell to get out there and get a lot of touches. I would say my real big takeaway point on this, because even if our defensive ends and the studs crash in too hard, they're going to be able to athletically compensate for NAU and stop the outside contain. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be a big issue. Uh, my big takeaway is if little R, little R comes out and has more than a series, that is an absolute <laughs> indictment of Mazzoni and someone for not getting Grant Cannell as many snaps as humanly possible, prepare him for subsequently in this season, possibly, and certainly next year. He needs to get half of this game under his belt, if not more. So I would really like to see us run up the score in the first quarter. Yeah, if you want to bring out little R, little R is a sign of respect and uh, camaraderie to your peer in Big R, Big R, bring his kid out for a series at most two. And then Gannell should get the entire remainder of the game to buff out a skill set. If they're real schizophrenic about that, I'm going to be very disappointed. And, and quite frankly, I don't have a lot of confidence in that happening. But Juve should roll in this game. Um, I remember Nick Foles last season. And as we mentioned, in that game was really kind of coming, you know, still in doubt well into the third quarter. And Nick Foles and the Wildcats had a turnaround to pull it off. Now, that year we beat ASU at ASU. And that was a great game. That was the... Um, that was that bubble screen pass when Nick Foles got hurt and Matt Scott wanted to come in and Stoops wouldn't let him. And what was the name of that Hawaiian kid who threw that bubble screen for the touchdown to beat ASU? That was the oh, um, Brock Osweiler game. Oh, yeah. Um, where he threw that interception at the end of the end zone. Anyways, um, I'll, I'll, I'll look up that kid's name. But that, you know, that was like his one pass at the U of A. He throws this bubble screen fourth quarter uh, at ASU to beat him. And he'd been a backup for his entire five years at U of A. Anyways, um, I say they roll this one. How do you see it playing out, Javi? Um, I think we're going to uh, beat him handily. Uh, I don't know about 57 to – uh, what was it by 26 points 57 to 21 um, is what Connolly's projecting i'm hoping we can hold them to less than 20 and then i think we'll be in the 50s um and then yeah maybe you're right maybe maybe uh uh rich rod or Rhett rod will get some playing time um and then gunnel we'll see gunnel because i know we definitely want to see what gunnel's got and see him out there um get him some playing time um but i'm kind of thinking maybe they're they're uh they're listing Rat Rod as a second uh, string because they're trying to save uh, Gunnel. Because I'm not sure if they want to save him uh, and have him only play the four game minimum and and redshirt. Uh, but I mean, I guess we'll find out on tomorrow. Yeah, certainly we will. I just think you know, let's say Tate gets hurt and um, and Gunnell has to come in and take over for the rest of the season. Well, you're burning his red shirt anyhow. And so, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the guy's going to be a four-year starter. I, I think that's going to be fine. I just don't think you want to subject Gunnell to uh, a USC or a Stanford and get him injured or, you know, da- you know, like Willie Tuatama took a significant concussion against LSU, and I, I think it really hurt his career. It was just too oh, yeah. early on for him. And so um, – you know, I think that was that was a big thing in his development. I don't think you want a young guy taking significant injuries, especially quarterback, 
or earlier than they absolutely have to. Uh, that sort of battle testing, I think, has been shown to not be effective. You need to build up the confidence and then give them the opportunity. Some guys have the, the moxie to do that, but some guys don't. And so um, I would argue that, um, you know, having a little R, a little R, like we've talked about in the past, being um, Bryson Bernie threw it to Jerron Kreiner, 23-yard touchdown. Remember Rice and Bernie? That was a cool I remember night. that. Yeah, that was a great game. I was in the stands for that one. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, we're screwed now. And I didn't want Scott to burn his red shirt, and I think Stoops did the right thing, um, right. obviously. Um, right. Anywho, um, you know, Rich, little R, little R, like we said, if he comes out for a series in the middle of a game just to support the team while Tate gets his ankle taped up, well, you know, that's no big deal. That's why he's the number two. But if Gunnell's starting more than five games this year, something's crazy's gone on but this is a game yeah. against talent that Gunnell can compete against and not get hurt so this is this is an opportunity I anticipate Tate's going to maintain the starting position for the remainder of the year no matter how much I'm going to criticize him and I think that's the appropriate thing to do he's probably the better candidate um, I don't think you want to waste a, re- a red shirt on Gunnell at this point but um, what other games are going to have that opportunity in the remainder of the schedule I mean maybe if we get out to an early late against Oregon State because um, we're hosting them I don't see a lot of other games where we're going to have that opportunity. Um, maybe UCLA, if UCLA is in complete free fall when they come. I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen at Texas Tech. Um, I, in fact, I'd be surprised. It's certainly not going to happen against ASU, Utah, Oregon, Stanford, USC, Washington, or even Colorado at Colorado, in my opinion. So the opportunities to get Gunnell a substantial number of snaps, even within the context of four games, and we've already had Hawaii go by, um, there's not a lot of opportunities. And so this one, I think it needs to be multiple series, multiple snaps. That is my strong opinion about how that opportunity should be utilized. But that's much I ado, agree. probably. All right, brother. I agree. Any other issues that we need to cover that we didn't cover for the week, Javi? Um, nothing I can think of. All right, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. Glad we could bang out a podcast for the listeners. I know we're getting this out late Friday, early Saturday. Um, there's a lot of scheduling issues. We're going to try and probably pound out a schedule where we do something with Gabe and review early and then maybe have Javi later on in the week, but try to get our pods out like on Thursday, Friday. So you have some time, maybe two shorter ones instead of one long one. Um, but it's always tough to get all, you know, all three of us have our own lives and our own jobs and, and it's always hard to get everybody together and family and friends and life come up in between, but it's always a pleasure to get together with you and Gabe and, and, uh, do this and, and put it out there for the fans. So we appreciate the people downloading. Please remember to email questions, go to playersprogramu.com and get on the boards and ask questions. We're on there all the time. Um, and uh, interact with us. Give us things you want us to cover on the podcast as we go forward. Please retweet the uh, podcast links when you see it on Twitter and uh, share and like so that we can get some more uh, followers. And uh, remember, we're going to have multiple contests during the season um, along with players, program you.com. And especially as we get into basketball season too. So uh, with that bear down, Javi bear down. <laughs>